Albums That Changed My Life is a spinoff series of rock and roll bedtime stories where me, I, Brian, <laughs> talk to you, or maybe I talk to other folks about the albums that changed my life or their lives. And today, today I think it's a good time to have a conversation about problematic frontmen. Um, one of our producers, Troy, came to Murdoch and I recently and, and said, you know, is there a place to tackle on the show this idea of separating an artist from their work? Tons of examples of this, right? You know, we've talked about Marilyn Manson recently on the show, which is a problematic subject. Uh, but really, any rock star has his problematic moments. Uh, you're, you're hearing about this sort of art and artist thing with Johnny Depp in the news currently. And it's a reoccurring issue whenever you talk about humans, really, because as my dad, the preacher would say, we're humans and human nature makes us all very flawed individuals. So what happens when the lead singer of your favorite band is an asshole? This is a quandary I've found myself in most of my life because those that know me know I claim two favorite bands, The Counting Crows and Third Eye Blind. Used to think I was unique, then I just realized I am a certain age. And this is just like somebody saying they liked Zeppelin in the 70s or, I don't know, maybe Grand Funk. <laughs> I don't quite think that Counting Crows or Third Eye Blind or Zeppelin. But I do think that they're both very influential bands that have had an outsized amount of of effect on popular culture and popular music. And and I actually think that Counting Crows have some respect in certain circles. They have a very dedicated fan base, and they have this workmanlike Grateful Dead side to them where they play um, extended versions and different versions of their songs, and people want to hear their live shows, and they put them up on the internet. And for a long time, they had a website where they sold soundboard recordings of their shows. They're on Nugs now. So... They sort of have a different thing going. Third Eye Blind was a big band, was a big pop band, and they always aspired to be a big pop band, and they were driven by this guy, Stephen Jenkins. Now, there's plenty of things on the internet about Stephen Jenkins. You can go all over the place, and you can find all sorts of people call him terrible things. There's another podcast on which he is referred to as a net negative person, by another musician. That's still a working musician in a working band. That's a, that's a terrible thing, as our producer Leif and I like to joke about. So, what do you do when that's your favorite, your favorite band? And you know he's a terrible person. You know he's screwed over all, the bandmate, all his bandmates at different times. That he's working now, 25 years after the heyday of the group with a totally different set of musicians, most of whom are much younger than him and kept under his thumb. How do you reconcile that with the music and the albums that you love? The truth be told, I planned originally for like the third or fourth episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories to be about Third Eye Blind because the story of these guys and of Stephen Jenkins and of all the lawsuits and the terrible things he's done to people is really interesting stuff. And Murdoch fought me tooth and nail on doing a third eye blind episode. He has no interest in even hearing me talk about it. And eventually we started to see what you guys in the audience were really gravitating towards when we looked at download numbers and stuff. And it's not the stuff about late nineties rock bands. So this is a bonus episode in a spinoff series and I'm not going to dig through the dirt. But 
I'm instead going to put the art in front of the artist. And I'm going to tell you about my favorite record by these guys and my top five favorite records of all time. I've gone back and forth on if I wanted to go the first album or the second album. And I prefer the second album. If I have to pick one and say it's my favorite record, and it's in my probably top five favorite records of all time. And I could talk for a long time about why it's so important to me. I think that a lot of what is is happening in 2022 with pop fusing with hip hop with acts like MGK and Post Malone even, and even things you hear with guys like Kid Leroy coming up are all rooted in Third Eye Blind. If you listen to Stay, which is a song that Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber do together, 20 years ago, that, that would have been a Third Eye Blind song. There's different elements to it now because of technology and such, but it's very much cut from that fast-talking, fast-singing cloth that Stephen Jenkins helped pioneer. And I think Blue, I mean, Blue was even five years after it came out, there were a lot of young artists coming out and saying like, hey, this was an album that got me through high school or whatever and and has really informed my thinking. But I just, I see its fingerprints all over the place. And you know what? They'll never get credit. They'll never get credit for two reasons. For reason number one is do, 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 a blessing and a curse. Nobody's going to take you seriously after that. The second reason that they'll never get credit for that is because Stephen Jenkins is known to not be a nice guy. And nobody wants to give the not nice guy a whole bunch of credit, especially when his hit song wasn't like Black Dog. It was a song about doing crystal meth lift you up until it breaks. So, I don't think I'm going to talk about Blue because you don't really want to hear me talk about Blue. No one does, including Murdoch. But I think most of us have a shared memory, at least, of that first Third Eye Blind record because it was so massive. And it really was the it was the one that got me hooked. Unlike the Counting Crows, their second record is the one that got me hooked, and I went backwards to August and everything after. It was the self-titled Third Eye Blind record. That really got me. And fun story about the first Third Eye Blind record and how I came to own a copy of it in the 90s. Uh, so I'd heard some songs off of it and I thought I wanted it. And I believe maybe my... Did my sister? Did my friends have it? I don't know. So I bought it for my sister for her birthday knowing she would not keep it. This is not one of my better moves. I mean, it was really smart for me. It was not very nice to her. I remember buying her two CDs for this birthday. Matchbox 20, Yourself and Someone Like You, Say What You Want, Holds Up. Number two, Third Eye Blind, Self-Titled. Both of those ended up in my collection very quickly. This was a pro, this is a pro move. It's not a very nice move. I wonder if she remembers. I actually wonder if she remembers that she ever owned them because they were so briefly ever in her room. But uh, yeah, that's what I did. And then... Brian now had a copy of this record that he sort of wanted all the time. Now, let's talk about some of the songs specifically.
got to say, probably the other reason that I had to steal my sister's copy of this was that my parents probably would have taken a listen or a look at it if I'd bought it for myself. Uh, And, you know, it's an album that starts with the word GD, which, you know, obviously not a popular word in my house growing up. This was shocking. The first time I heard this song, shocking for all the reasons. Uh, The guitar solo, or the, the, the guitar riff that starts it, the fury with which it arrives, and then the further fury with which Stephen Jenkins sings the first verse, and how he's so emotive. And you can you can hate him if you want, and I get it. But there are very few people who who are, especially in the '90s, who were doing what he was doing vocally. So he can sing. He he definitely goes flat a lot in live recordings and that sort of thing in live situations. Because he sings sort of this warble, this uncontrolled warble that gets loud. But he uses every bit of his voice. And he does a lot of stuff to fill spaces. So if you listen to a lot of these records, there's a lot of ah, ah, and, and like stuff that's all inside his delivery that becomes very much a part of the song and, a, and a part of the way that people you experience the song. So it's really, really interesting stuff. But that song just, it comes out like a bottle rocket. It is one of my favorite opening tracks on any record ever because it just basically says we're here. Also, sink full of dishes and some aqua lube? That, my poor teenage mind couldn't handle that lyric. I'm just going to be honest. Now, as amazing as that song is, then you I, it's guitar work. I learned to play guitar, sort of, at 12. And so I like understood basic mechanics of the guitar and I didn't understand what I heard on songs like the second track on this record, Narcolepsy. This opening guitar is just, still, I I love it. I'm on a train But there's no one at the helm And there's a demon in my brain Who starts to overwhelm Listen to the bass right there. There was just, there was a lot of full texture happening in these songs that I just hadn't heard other bands really do in the way that they would do them. And again, listen to his voice. He's making all those noises on top of the guitar parts, etc. Now, as big a part of Third Eye Blind as Stephen Jenkins, and a lot of the reason that some people, from a critical perspective, completely dropped them after the second album and quit paying attention altogether... There was this other member of the band named Kevin Cadigan. Now, if we were going to do an episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, this would be this would be the centerpiece. Kevin and Steven, I think, were equal parts of the genius. I don't think they ever would have gotten to where they got initially without Kevin, for sure. And once he was kicked out of the band, they never were quite the same. Now, the initial version of the band had Tony Fridinelli on guitar. Tony Fridinelli is who Kevin Cadigan is replaced with when they kick Kevin Cadigan out. So they their sort of PR on this was, hey, we brought back the original guy. But most of the songs, especially on this record, were written by Kevin. And Kevin, that's Kevin guitar. 
So that very distinctive third eye blind guitar you hear on both Losing a Whole Year and Narcolepsy is Kevin Cadigan. Kevin Cadigan basically doesn't have much of a career after this. I mean, outside of being a workman-like musician, he does not ever, it's not like he goes and starts something else and it becomes huge. He does. He starts a band called Cadigan, um, and they put out one record that I think I had at some point. Um, it wasn't great. It was the it was the chemistry of the two of those guys. You had Steven figuring out these vocal lines that he could put on top of Kevin's guitar, and Kevin thinking very creatively about how he was putting together this melodic stuff, right? Track three on this record, of course, is Semi-Trumpet Life. We don't need to play that. We don't really need to talk about it. Huge hit, huge earworm. It holds up, frankly. But I do think making the chorus a sing-along do-do-do is not good for longevity in rock and roll, or at least respect. It's probably good for longevity on pop radio. Track number four is Jumper. These are all together, okay? So you get Losing a Whole Year, you get Narcolepsy, then you get Semi-Charmed Life, then you get Jumper, then you get Graduate, and then you get How's It Gonna Be. So those four singles are tracks two through six. They're all great songs. I think we can skip Semi-Charmed Life and Jumper because everybody's heard those. But let's talk about Graduate because, you know, we were talking about the dynamics of losing a whole year. And dynamics are really what a lot of this record is about for me. It's about this coming right out of the gate and hitting you in the face. And man, Graduate does that so well. He yells punk ass. See, like, I didn't want to rebel in the way that was like the guy listening to Marilyn Manson. I didn't want to be that guy in my, you know, conservative household. But I did want to be the guy who yelled punk ass at the dinner table. That was totally me. If you if you just want a picture of teenage Brian, I didn't do it, but I wanted to. There's a famous story where my mom was asking me about some Christian band that I liked called Plank Eye. And I said it was from the Bible because it's from something Jesus says. And I think on the Sermon on the Mount. And she was like, well, you know what else is in the Bible? Jackass. And I don't hear a band being called that. And that's how I came to name my first band Jackass. No, I'm kidding. But that was me. I wanted to yell Jackass and Punk Ass at the dinner table. This song was great. Still great. And it's a great live one. When they do it live, highly recommend. And then you get How's It Gonna Be, which is another banger that starts slow and then it culminates with one of the most amazing, amazing moments and one of my favorite moments in 90s pop music. It was always these moments where Steven hit that second register. It's the it's this idea of unrestrained passion. My wife used to make fun of me when we first got together. We'd go to shows or I'd show her a band and she'd be like, what you like are guys who get really, really passionate and excited when they sing. And that's true. It holds up in different ways for the Counting Crows and for Third Eye Blind. And also for the band Revis, who I think we were seeing live from Carbondale, Illinois at a music festival when she said that to me. And that band's great. Check out their record. Uh, okay, so... How's it going to be? Still a great song. I As much as Semi-Charmed Life and Jumper have, you know, not fallen in my esteem, but like, okay, fine. I'm, I'm 
yeah, I'm going to hear them when I see the band play live. I get it. But Graduating How's It Gonna Be still thrilling. Still thrilling songs. And then you get into the back half of this record. And, and that's the thing, right? Like, I think a lot of bands front load records. This was a thing back in, you know, when people cared about records. But all the good stuff up front. And they have Losing Whole Year and Narcolepsy at the front of this record. And then four hit singles. So, in some people's esteem, I'm sure they front loaded the record. I think the back end of this record is so good. Now, here's a little thing that I'm going to point out in a few spots at the end of this record. These dudes love The Clash. Around this time, I think in 98, after this record comes out, they're actually asked to be on a tribute to The Clash, and they do Train in Vain, and it's a lot of fun. But there's a couple of things. There's some tracks on this in on this back half of this record where you hear The Clash influence. And then there's a song they do on the American Pie soundtrack, which is also shortly after this. And I believe it may have been a demo of something that was even older called New Girl. They just put it on Spotify. It hasn't been available on Spotify for years. So you can check it out. But it is basically them doing an impression of The Clash. And I don't think when people think of Third Eye Blind, they think of punk rock or classic punk rock, but they're very informed by The Clash and by Lou Reed. There's a there's a song in their back catalog that was done a couple of different ways in some um, early demos that is basically, it's like, it ends up being a song, but at one point it's like them rewriting a Lou Reed song. Like that's how much they were into Lou Reed. I think they actually, it's a cover of heroin maybe, and it becomes something else. Anyway, there's a lot of sort of the 70s art rock, avant-garde, punk rock, London clash thing happening. And that's definitely not what people think of now when they think of Third Eye Blind, right? So listen for it because it's sort of fun. I'll point it out in a couple places. But this album cranks up with more of this straight out of the speakers into your face attitude stuff that they do um, with a song, the seventh track on the record called Thanks a Lot. See, they're big on this. Here's, Here's a couple of chords on a guitar. And then get ready, it's coming for you. just do things like sing at the opposite key like he would he'll sing later in the song he'll sing that I slip the throat of your confidence line and he'll sing it in his lower register instead of his higher register and it's a simple thing it's not like he invented that but he was very good at sort of being able to emote with the same words and the same melody and use his voice as the as the thing that was changing a lot of singers i know that sounds like you're describing singing like i get it but there's not a lot of people who do that really well also he kills at falsetto god he kills at falsetto and this was just stuff i wasn't used to hearing and i do think that some of that emotive thing i think they're a precursor to what happens with with emo third wave emo in the early 2000s there i mean there's a a 
interview with Panic at the Disco and All Press Magazine in like 04 or something where they claim Blue, the second Third Eye Blind record, is like their biggest influence. And it's so obvious if you listen to that record in that context and think about it. There's, you know, things, they, they really take it to the next level in this next record and do a lot of experimentation that I, 20 years later sounds modern. Like it still sounds modern. That at the time was just out there. Weird quasi-rock opera jags in the middle of the record um you know a lot of playing with his vocals and having him sing in weird ranges and falsetto for whole songs and that sort of stuff and it ends up being something that i think a lot of people pick up on in in the early 2000s and start to use and lean into that emo scene so anyway thanks a lot it's a great song after this another one another banger called burning man not about the festival start to hear that punk rock thing right and there's kevin noodling he's always noodling little known fact when all these guys get kicked out of this band like this record is kevin steven orion and Brad. Brad will stick around the longest. Kevin gets kicked out. Orion lasts like one more record. And then eventually Kevin and Orion get together and start to, <laughs> they start playing in California and playing Third Eye Blind songs. They'll play the first record. And Kevin will sing because Kevin can sing. And uh, they get sued promptly. And uh, it's a whole thing, which I said we weren't going to get into. But I'd say it to point out that every member of this band is solid. And Orion, the bass player, actually adds a lot of depth to these songs. And it's it's easy to, because they're so melodic and poppy, it's easy to sort of overlook. But turn it up and listen to the bass lines. Track nine is called Good For You. It's like a straight ahead 90s rock song, and it's a sort of dark. Good tune. Not maybe my least favorite, but I really don't dislike any of these songs. is one of these clash songs this this song i turned this song on the other day loudly and i know every word to this album and like sometimes i think there's parts of it i don't know no i know all of it and this song's really fun to listen to loudly and yell during um but it is totally a clash song it's called london
also full of hooks. Like these songs, even when they get like sort of this fast punk movement, they just devolve into these beautiful hooks because Steven could do both. Listen to this. I literally listen to this and I'm like, I don't understand how anyone could not love this. <laughs> Isn't that funny how music's like that? I totally get why you wouldn't like it, but I I don't actually get it. I get it like academically, but I don't get it emotionally. Uh, track 11, I said Good For You might be my least favorite song. I, And again, like my least favorite Third Eye Blind song off this record especially is like still better than most songs in the world. Uh, but this next one, track 11, this is back when they made records long, 14 tracks on this thing. I Want You, this is like their 90s ballad thing. And it's good. It actually is still really a good live song. I saw them do it a couple summers ago uh, in their set, and it was it still works, man. And it's got some fun acoustic stuff in it. Now we get into the final three tracks on this record. And there may be, in my opinion, never been a record that ends stronger than this album. In all of rock and roll. It's a bold statement, but this is my show and I can say what I want. Uh, this The last three songs are maybe the three greatest songs in their catalog. Again, I don't think this is their best album. I think the next album is their best album, but they have the three best songs on this record. And they're, it, part of it is the Kevin guitar thing with Steven and the style of writing he was trying, especially on the th- these three songs, which is biographical, but not there's not this inserted do-do-do hook. Like, the thing is, if you took Motorcycle Drive-By, or I'm sorry, we're about to talk about that song because it's my favorite. Uh, if you took semi Charmed Life and you took out the do-do-do's and you slowed it down a little bit, it would be on par with these three songs in terms of sort of the heaviness. These are heavy songs and they're personal songs. The background is beautiful and I can't do it justice these three songs sort of, I think Motorcycle Drive-By is probably my favorite song of theirs ever, hands down. It's a big fan favorite. When you start going to the shows and seeing them multiple times, you realize this is a centerpiece showpiece for them. But, and it, and it really works like that because the fans love it, but it was never a radio hit. And so people who have sort of written off the band definitely don't know about it. So it is this beautiful moment in every show. Typically, it happens about three quarters of the way through where they play it. And people lose their minds. Because it is it is a fan song. All three of these songs are, but this one, but Motorcycle Drive By really is. But before we get to that on the album, you get the background, which is a beautiful sort of heartbreaking song, um, both musically and lyrically. And whew, man, these three songs. Well, let me play the background and then I'll tell you the story of Motorcycle Drive By. 
And again, Kevin's guitar, front and center here. I just never heard guitar like this. And I understand that there's somebody who like loves Van Halen listening to this right now. And they're like, dude, this is not good guitar playing. I understand. But for a certain style, it is inventive and interesting. And he, for somebody who loves melody, like I do, this was just front and center melody, but done in a way that wasn't so sugary and hooky, except for Simmons Charmed Life. I understand I'm, I'm talking about Third Eye Blind and Symmetron Life is on this record. But it's it's just really, I don't know, man. I just hadn't heard anything quite like it. And this is this is a beautiful song. And this was this is a song that's like tells a story and you're sad at the end of it. This is what I mean about sort of them sort of pushing this emo train forward, right? This is a very emo song. So I switched high schools when I was starting the 11th grade. I moved across the country and started a new high school. And on the first day I met this kid, only two people talked to me. One of them was the star quarterback who was just nice. Went on to play for the Jaguars, I think, very, very briefly. Uh, He was cool. Not my kind of guy, but he was nice. But then I met this other guy. And he had a LeBray piercing, which I didn't know what that was. Had to look it up. Uh, and he was like smoking a cigarette outside the back of the school. Like James Dean was just inspiring. And he was brand new too. But you wouldn't know. I looked scared. He did not look scared. He looked like he owned the place. And I was like, this guy hitching my wagon because he knows what's up. I had no idea that he was brand new too. And we became best pals, man. We ended up in a class together. It was a journalism class, I believe. And he would spend time when he got bored in class writing out lyrics to songs that he loved and then passing them like they were notes. This was his thing. And so he used, I, there are like a handful of songs that I can tell you about and motorcycle drive by is one of them that I first encountered before I ever heard the song as lyrics and his loopy handwriting passed up like, and you know, you're like taking a risk in high school when you pass a note. Things could go terribly bad. So typically people do this when they have a really important message to convey. Hey, will you come to the dance with me? Hey, I love you. Hey, you suck. Whatever. But Chris would just send them up to me. Hey, get this to Brian. And they were just song lyrics. (laughs) And this song, I read these lyrics before I ever heard this song. And I was like... This is great. And I knew he was a musician and a songwriter. We played in a band together later. 
And I thought he must have written this as some sort of creative writing exercise. And he was like, no, man, it's a Third Eye Blind song. And the crazy thing about him liking Third Eye Blind is that he was a music snob. He he showed me Built to Spill. When I do an episode of Albums That Changed My Life about Built to Spill, you'll hear all about him because that record is very important to my relationship with him. Uh, he showed me Built to Spill. He showed me Pavement. He showed me Modest Mouse. Back before, way before Modest Mouse was ever doing Float On on the radio, right? He showed me Hum. And then he also showed me Third Eye Blind, which I still am puzzled by, but glad to accept. So if you've never heard this, this is a fan favorite Third Eye Blind song, buried, buried, but not really, because the songs are so good on this record. It's the 13th track on their debut record on Elektra, and it's called Motorcycle Drive-By. Summertime and the wind is blowing outside And though it's Chelsea and I don't know What I'm doing in the city The sun is always in my eyes It crashes through the windows And I'm sleeping on the couch When I came to visit you That's when I knew That I could never have you I knew that before you did Still I'm the one who's stupid is this burning like there's always been I've never been so alone and I've never been so alive this song builds and builds and builds and I won't play it all here but I will tell you I will beg you if you've never heard this song before Whew. Go somewhere where it's just you. Maybe in your car. Maybe in your office. Isolate yourself. Close your eyes and just listen to it and let it... Man, just let it let it wash over you. And then... I know maybe going to a Third Eye Blind concert is not on your bucket list, but this song live with a whole bunch of people who geek out about this band like I do losing their minds while they do it is it's like church man it's like church I said I wasn't gonna let you hear all of it but I'm gonna let you hear this part Dear God, it's so good. And then, you know, I, I think a lot of people would not anticipate that the band that brought you do 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 on the same album, just a mere eleven tracks later, close out the record with a song about dying in a drunk driving accident. I think is what this song is about. And this is just how the record ends. And it's much like Motorcycle Drive By in its construction, in that it starts slow and builds and. It is so reliant on the emotional nature of Steven's voice and the ability he has to jump back and forth in his range. And it is. Whew. I won't put it above Motorcycle Drive-By, but it is right there. These last three songs, man. These last three songs alone should have these guys in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
tip you I've been spending you cashing them all in Where do we begin to get clean again Can we get clean again I walk home alone with you in the mood you're born into sometimes you let me somebody asked me what it was that made me a third eye blind fan like the high i'm always chasing it's the build and they do that build really really well over and over and over on this record they start slow they build they build they build i chased that for like 10 years listening to emo music man (laughs) i was just trying to find third eye blind again Listen, it's okay if you don't get it. And I still wrestle with this conundrum of loving Stephen Jenkins' music and his band and thinking he's probably a terrible, terrible person. And I will be honest, for the first time in a 25-year career, the most recent Third Eye Blind release... I've tried multiple times to listen to it, and I cannot get through it. And that's the first time. I actually think their 2019 record called Screamer is really good. Like, maybe fourth best thing they've done. And for some reason, the 2020-2021 record, Pandemic took it out of them. I don't know. But I'm not here to criticize. I'm here to love on them. Good God, I love this record. It made me really happy just sitting here talking to you about it. And you know what? If you're still listening to this, something's wrong with you too, man. So you can't be pointing the finger just at me. <laughs> the, the same people backed out of this a long time ago. They just turned it off and, and listened to Mark Marin or something, man. Uh, but I appreciate you sticking around. Albums That Changed My Life is just a fun... It's a fun exercise to talk into the ether about things that I really, really like. If you have an album you love, tell me about it. Because I love to hear people talk about things they love. You can always send us an email. We are the story guys at gmail.com. And we'll be back with a new episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories next week. Thanks for listening. Keep telling stories.